This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday for another hour of mystery from the golden age of radio. We'll begin this week with the new adventures of Nero Wolf and the final page, his story from March 23rd, 1951. After that, it's Sherlock Holmes and the Porter Muse mystery. I don't have an air date for this particular episode, though the series aired from 1980 to 1985, I believe. It's a South African production of Sherlock Holmes, which I don't think we've heard yet. Either way, here's Nero Wolfe and Sherlock Holmes. Transcribed. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery, adventure. Nero Wolfe's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. What? Oh, Fritz, yeah, I thought it was the outside line. Yeah? Yes, thanks, I'll be right down, Fritz. Boss, Mr. Wolf, will you please hurry? You're well aware that it will avail you nothing to hurry me? Why you Mr. Ware be in such a rush today? But the car, it's downstairs waiting. Fritz is all ready. Let him wait. Isn't it enough that I've agreed against my better judgment to leave the comforts of home to go rushing through the crashing traffic of the city? To a dinner, that should be an inducement. Fritz could have prepared a delicious dinner. He has truffles in the pantry. Well, why did you promise Arthur Merle? You didn't have to accept the invitation. Quite so. He's an old friend. Besides, he does set an excellent table. It's just that I don't like the traffic. Traffic? <laughs> I know why. It's that awful oxygen in the atmosphere outside. It's not the traffic. Archie, you're talking much too much. I know, boss. I'm impatient. Would you mind giving me some slight indication that you intend to move from that chair? Just as soon as I finish this beer. Sure you wouldn't care for half a dozen sandwiches before we go to dinner? If we were going anywhere other than to Arthur Merrill's, I'd agree with you. He's the only person in the world I know of, except myself, of course, who has a proper appreciation and respect for the art of preparing good food. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that renowned genius who is the bulkiest, balkiest, most ponderous, and most brilliant detective in the world. Yes, none other than that chair-borne mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolfe. Created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. I usually refer to this story as the case of the final page. Under normal circumstances, the last page of a manuscript would be absolutely worthless unless you read all the preceding pages. But in this instance, the final page held the answer to a murder. Without that page, we couldn't arrive at the solution. Actually, we didn't even know the problem. Anyhow, I finally got Nero Wolf to the lobby of Arthur Merle's apartment building. Going up. Going up. Up, please. Are you going up, gentlemen? Are you, honey? Certainly. It's my job. Then so are we. After you, boss. When did they install women elevator operators in this building? I've been here for two years. Floor, please. Arthur Merle's apartment, I believe. It's 814. That's right. Are you Mr. Wolf? Uh, no. This is Mr. Wolf. I'm Archie Goodwin. Although the name Wolf would be much more appropriate for him than for me. How did you know he was Mr. Wolf? Mr. Merle came in half an hour ago. He mentioned that he was expecting you. You see, Archie, you rushed me unnecessarily. We practically preceded him here, and we'll probably have to wait interminably for dinner. I just hate to be late. Arthur Merrill has never been on time in his life. He's no more punctual than any other writer. He's never been known to meet a deadline on time. This is your floor, gentlemen. Arthur Merrill is just down the hall to the right, 814. Uh, thank you. And uh, by the way, I want to compliment you on your congenial attitude, Miss. I'll speak to the management. Oh, thank you, sir. Decent of you. Uh, what's your name, huh? Women are usurping everything. Really cost to live here. Merle's really in the chips. Every book he writes sells a million copies. Remember the last time we had dinner with Arthur Merle? I do. Delicious. Mountain quail shot them himself. Yeah, he's quite a marksman. Archie, such proficiency as Arthur Merle displayed in hunting is evidence of a wasted life. Sure, he probably never made over $500,000 a year in his whole life. Well, ring again. Don't just stand there. Surely he's expecting us. The elevator operator said he was? Yeah, she seemed quite well informed. If I were a judge of women, which I am not, 
I'd say she has a line on every male in the building. She can get a line on me anytime she wants. Archie, your insatiable interest in the female seems sometimes to border on the psychopathic. You know a more pleasant way to go crazy? Phooey. It's strange there's a light on in there. I can see it under the door. Shall I try the door? Do so, Archie. Thank you. Hmm. I'm locked. Well, at least we can get in. He may be in the bedroom. Probably in the kitchen. I'll just sit here. I must forgo the comforts of my own home. I certainly intend to avail myself of the comforts of Arthur Merle's. Hmm. Very much over-decorated. You wouldn't like heaven unless they had orchids and beer. Hmm. Not a chair in the place worthy of the name. Well, I'll try that divan while you have a look around. For what? Arthur Merle, of course. Suppose you have a look in the study. Maybe writing. Have a look, my boy. I'm exhausted and thirsty. See if he has any... Boss! Vi- Boss! Good heavens, Archie. Don't shout. Uh, I'm coming. It's Arthur Merle. Look. Slumped over his desk. A knife in his back. Yeah. He's quite dead. You haven't touched anything? Certainly not. I've been around long enough to know that. Well, you just call Inspector Kramer at homicide. How long do you think he's been dead? I'd say a half hour. From all appearances, yes. And perhaps only ten minutes. I can't understand it. Why would anyone want to kill Arthur Merle? Everybody liked him. Nice man I'd expect such a thing to happen to. The answer is probably a considerable distance from the question, Archie. Inspector Kramer, homicide. Archie Goodwin, Inspector. Just a minute, Nero Wolf wants to speak to you. Oh, no. Don't tell me you two have started up something on a night like this. It's ten below zero. I'm sorry. Here you are, boss. Hello, Inspector. Yes? What is it this time, Wolf? Find a dead body under Grant's tomb? <laughs> I'm sorry you'll forgive any apparent failure to find humor in your little witticism. But I'm at Arthur Merle's apartment. I suggest you come here at once. Seems that Arthur finally met a deadline. So, you just walked in here and found Merle dead, huh? We were invited here for dinner. Hmm. Anyone else around when you got here? No. You see anyone, Goodwin? Only the elevator operator who brought us up. Well, Mr. Wolf, since you were in on the ground floor, maybe you've got some ideas. Sorry, Inspector. Had I been able to solve the crime so soon, I would have advised you, Inspector. Yeah. Well, it's obviously murder. Obviously. You knew him well? Quite well. Ever know of his being in any trouble? No. Everybody liked him. Arthur Merle, I felt, didn't have an enemy in the world. Is that so? I don't think anybody pulled this as a little friendly gesture. Don't jump to conclusions, Inspector. That this murder was committed necessarily by an enemy of Merle's. Meaning? It could have been an absolute stranger. A woman? Or a burglar, or a madman, or a crank, or... As far as we know, it could have been anybody in the city, Inspector. Arthur's been dead nearly an hour. And an hour ago, I was in my own home, sitting comfortably in my own big easy chair, drinking a delectable glass of beer. Someone at the door, Archie. Yeah, just a minute. I'll answer that. Mr. Merle? No. Uh, well, is Mr. Merle here? Yes, he's here. But he's not seeing anyone. Well, he's expecting me. I'm from the Serve Right Catering Company. We're ready to serve for four here tonight. The dinner has been canceled. Oh, but it's been ordered. Breast of guinea hen, cooked in wine and cloves, delicious. It's prepared and waiting. I'm afraid that I must insist on seeing Mr. Merle. Mr. Merle has been murdered. Well, I'm afraid I must... Uh, Murdered? Well, oh my goodness, but... Well, in that case, I... Yes, good evening. Don't you think you might have taken a bit more time with the fellow inspector? Why? You might at least have let him serve the dinner. Guinea hen, wine, and clove sounded positively delectably... Look, I've had dinner. I'm afraid you're too busy, Inspector. So busy that you've just passed up an extremely interesting bit of information. What are you talking about, Wolf? He said he was to serve dinner for four. Well? Arthur Merle, Archie, and myself are only three. 
Well, who else was supposed to be here? A fourth guest who either hasn't arrived yet or who arrived earlier and left. Oh, I see what you mean, Wolf. Good. In that case, I'll leave you to pursue your deductions from that premise. Archie, will you please stay with the inspector and be of any help that you can? As for myself, I'm going back to my own home, which I should never have left in the first place. Okay, that finishes the apartment search, Goodwin. And what have we? Nothing. Except that Merle had over $300 in his pocket... And he was wearing a ring worth a couple of thousand, so it couldn't have been robbery. And I don't think it was premeditated murder. Why not? The weapon. Obviously, if someone had planned on killing Merle, he'd have prepared it better. Used a better weapon than a blunt paper knife. No, as I see it, someone was here before you and Wolf arrived, and for some reason that person found it necessary to kill Merle, and he did it on the spur of the moment. I'm listening. Well, it's obvious. Merle was slumped over his typewriter. The sheet of paper was in it. He'd been working. May I see it? Yeah. Starbreaker. Strange title. Page 189. He was getting well along with his latest mystery. Apparently. Gregory Thorne slipped the paper into his pocket. It was just an ordinary piece of paper, but Gregory knew its value. Used properly as Greg knew how to use it, it would be worth $100,000. He walked away briskly, and as he... That's all. Yeah, that's all. Must have been right. No, I'd like to read the rest of it. We didn't find any more of it. Any other ideas? No, at the moment, we seem to be right where the murderer himself left off. Oh, what is this? Open house. Sorry to be so... Oh. Oh, what? I was... I mean, I expected to see Mr. Murrow. Is he here? Well, who are you? Cynthia Roberts. He expecting you? Well, no. That is... Uh, I... Come on in, Miss Roberts. Thank you. Maybe the young lady is trying to say that he didn't have to expect her. Maybe she felt free to call without advance notice, Inspector. Inspector? Uh, what did you want to see Mr. Merle about? I, well, I'm his fiance. Oh. Had dinner yet, Miss Roberts? Why, yes, I had dinner earlier. Uh, when I... were you last here, Miss Roberts? Last night, after the theater. Arthur and I were... What's the matter? Is something wrong? I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Miss Roberts, but Arthur Merle was murdered. And you say you hadn't talked to Mr. Merle all evening. Is that right, Miss Roberts? Yes, that's right. You didn't have a date with him tonight? Oh, no. Then why did you come here? I told you we were engaged. I just came by, that's all. I see. Any more questions, Inspector? Yeah, none for the present. How about you, Goodwin? Nope. But maybe Wolf. Let me call him. Yes, I guess under the circumstances we can't very well leave him out. Go ahead. Oh, Arthur, I just can't believe it. Why would anyone want to kill him? That, Miss Roberts, is a question we'd all like to know the answer to. Yeah, Wolf speaking. Archie, boss, I'm still at Merle's. We haven't found out anything new except that Arthur's fiance dropped in a few minutes ago. Did she know anything of interest? I don't think so. What does the inspector plan to do about it? Just a minute. He wants to know what you're going to do with it. Well, hold her, of course. He's going to hold her. Let me speak to him. Okay. He wants to talk to you, Inspector. All right. Hello. Inspector, I suggest you let the young lady go. Are you crazy? I haven't got enough suspects in this deal to be letting the hottest one go free. You can't consider her a suspect simply because she knew Arthur. Now, see here, Wolf. If you go around arresting people at random, you'll suddenly be tipping your hand to the real murderer, admitting that you don't have a real clue to go on. And just what do you suggest? Find a motive, Inspector. Find a motive. Then, if you stumble on a suspect, you'll have some basis for making an arrest. At the moment, I suggest that you let the girl go and tell Archie to stop wasting his time down there and come home at once. So that's the story, boss. We went over that place with a fine-tooth comb. Nothing. There's not a single suspect. The last person to see Arthur alive was the elevator girl. Correction, Archie. The last person to see Arthur Merle alive was the person who ended his life. Well, I just can't imagine that pretty little elevator gal. You don't solve crimes by imagination, Archie. Then there's Cynthia Roberts, his fiance. You suspect her? Not exactly, but just suppose she did have a motive. Maybe he threw her over. Wouldn't it have been very clever of her to come back to Arthur's apartment after the police arrived, allegedly looking for him? 
I thought you were the admirer of the fairer sex, Archie. So far, the best you can do is practically accuse the elevator girl and Arthur's fiancée of murder. Well, who else is there? Certainly the fellow who came with the food doesn't count. I repeat, who else is there? The entire population of the city, Archie. Thanks. Well, that's all I get. Oh, well, there was something else. What? This. Page 189 of what appears to be Arthur's latest novel. It was in his typewriter. As you can see, just started the page. Hmm, Starbreaker. Hmm. Very interesting. What's the rest of it? That's all we found. What? And there was something missing. Archie. Yes, boss? First thing tomorrow morning, get the address of Mr. Morton, who publishes Arthur's books. Then get over to see him right away. Yes, may I help you? I'd like to see Mr. Morton. Uh, did you have an appointment? Tell him I'm from Homicide. Uh, ho- oh, yes, sir. Yes? Uh, Mr. Morton, I know you have someone with you, but uh, there's a gentleman here from the Homicide Bureau. He wants to see you. Tell him I work for Nero Wolf. My name's Goodwin. His name is Goodwin. Send him in. Yes, thank you. You may go right in, sir. The large door to your right. Thanks. Come in, Mr. Goodwin. Come in. I understand you're from Homicide. Not exactly. I'm Nero Wolfe's assistant. We're working with Inspector Kramer. And what can I do for you? You've heard about Arthur Murrow. Yes, I received the word when I came in this morning. It was a great shock. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Goodwin. This gentleman is Henry Childs. How do you do, Mr. Childs? Glad to meet you, Mr. Goodwin. You're with Nero Wolfe? I'm his, well, his assistant, Man Friday. Mr. Childs is a publicity agent. He handled all publicity for Arthur Murrow. I've not only lost an excellent client, but a very good friend. Did you know Mr. Merle? Yes, I'd met him a number of times with Mr. Wolf. Yes, indeed. Arthur Merle was a great writer and a fine citizen. He'll be missed by millions. Mr. Goodwin, when was the murder discovered? Last night, shortly before dinner. Well, what are the police? I mean, what do you think the motive was? Don't know as yet, Mr. Charles. A little early for that. Well, it's certainly a shame. I, uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions, Mr. Morton, privately. I hope you don't mind, Mr. Charles. Oh, no, no, not at all. I was about to leave. I'll run along now, Mr. Morton. Uh, see you again soon, Mr. Child. Good morning, gentlemen. Well, Mr. Goodwin? You did a lot of business with Mr. Merle, Mr. Morton? I published every one of his novels for the past eight years. And you intended to publish his new one, the one he was working on? Yes, we had a contract. The usual agreement between you? Naturally. Although I didn't know the story, I was always sure that if Arthur wrote it, it was good. Mr. Merle's name on a novel was a guarantee that it would sell a million copies. You don't know what this last one was about. Haven't the faintest idea. We relied completely on Arthur's judgment. Not even any carbon copies, huh? Not that I know of. Why? When Mr. Merle was killed, the only thing missing from his apartment was the novel. The novel? The first 188 pages. All we found of it were a few lines of page 189 in his typewriter. He must have been working on it when the murderer stabbed him. The rest of it's gone. You mean, Goodwin, the, the novel's gone? This will cost me a million dollars. Well, it cost Arthur Merle his life. Arthur Merle dead and his novel gone. I can hardly believe it. Well, thank you, Mr. Morton. Oh, I hope I've been of some help, although I I'm don't sorry quite... you haven't. But we may call on you again. Before it's over, you may be a great help. Nero Wolf speaking. Archie, boss. I just finished with Morton. He doesn't know a thing. Merle never discussed his stories with anyone, and as far as Morton knows, he never made carbons. I see. Where do I go from here, boss? See Cynthia Roberts. Oh, then you haven't dismissed the possibility that she may have had something to do with it. Being his fiancée, she probably knows more about Arthur than anyone else. She may know who the fourth guest was to have been last night, and she also may know what Merle's novel was about. Right, boss. I'm anxious to know what the novel was about, too. I personally don't give a hang what the novel was about. What I want to find out is someone who does know the story. Because I have a hunch that whoever knows that is the person who killed Arthur Merle. Miss Roberts, I know you want to help us find out who killed Arthur. Oh, yes, of course. I'll do anything. Nero Wolfe and I were invited to have dinner with Arthur Merle last night. Well, I knew he was having friends in for dinner, but I didn't know who they were. Oh, I'm sorry. I hoped you'd know whom he invited. No, he didn't tell me. Miss Roberts, we have reason to believe that there was to have been a fourth person there last night. Uh, A fourth? The caterer came to deliver dinner for four. Now, the fourth party never did show up. 
or else came earlier and left after Arthur was killed. You mean someone Arthur invited to dinner might have killed him? Maybe. Oh, there's no one that I can think of who bore any ill will toward Arthur. We're convinced that this was done on the spur of the moment. Unpremeditated murder. Arthur Merle suddenly became a threat to someone. Now we've got to find out what the threat was and who was threatened. We'd hoped you could help. I'm sorry. Did he ever discuss his new novel with you? Oh, no. He never talked about his stories until he'd finished them. So his latest mystery contains the answer to an even greater mystery. Unless we find the first, they'll both go unanswered. Mr. Morton? Yes? Nero Wolf speaking. Oh, yes. Your man Goodwin was here to see me. I presume you are interested in seeing Merle's murderer brought to justice? Certainly. Arthur was a close friend of mine. And his death cost you a best sir, I know. Now, would you be willing to help a bit? Why, yes, if I... I prepared a statement for the papers. I want you to call the literary editors first thing in the morning. Here's what I want you to tell them. Got a pencil and paper? Yes. And take this down. Quote, Mr. Carlton Morton announced today that the last work of the late Arthur Merle will be published according to schedule. Fortunately, it was Mr. Merle's custom to furnish his publishers with carbon copies of each day's work Consequently, with the major portion of his... Boss! Boss! Good heaven, Archie. Please don't be so loud. Look here. In this morning's paper, why, that rat, he lied to me, that... that... What on earth are you talking about? That publisher, Morton, he said he didn't have copies of Merle's manuscript, that he didn't know what it was about. And And listen to this. Mr. Carlton Morton announced today that the last work of the late Arthur Merle will be published according to schedule. Fortunately, it was Mr. Merle's custom to furnish his publisher with carbon copies of each day's work. Consequently, with a major portion of his latest work, Starbreaker, in the hands of his publisher, together with a complete synopsis, including the denouement, it will be possible for a ghostwriter to complete the novel. It will be published posthumously in proceeds with... Boss, did you hear that? I did, and it couldn't have been more to my liking if I'd written it myself. Now, excuse me, I want to make a telephone call. Who? Publisher Morton. Yeah, I'm beginning to see. He lied about the whole thing. I still don't see why he'd kill Merle, but on... Hello, Mr. Morton. This is Nero Wolf. Yes, perfect. Now I'll call Kramer, and he and Archie will be waiting for you. Remember now, if anything comes of it, you are to say the manuscript is in the safe in your home, and you steer the party here. Say you've recently rented this place. I hope we'll be seeing you. Yes. Goodbye. Oh, and be careful. Remember what happened to Arthur. The manuscript is in my desk in the middle drawer. What's it? You mean... Archie, look out of that window. Huh? Yeah? Out there is a city of some five million people. In that five million, there is one who murdered Arthur Merle. Now, we don't know who it is, so we can't go out and put a finger on him. But, Archie, since we can't go to him... We have only one other choice, make him come to us. Will you tell me why we're sitting here in the dark in Wolf's office? Yes, Inspector Kramer. Mr. Wolf promised us a caller. Mr. Morton is to pretend that he's rented this place recently. Well, who's the caller? Can't tell you until he or she gets here. You seem certain he'll come. I'm quite certain. I'm just hopeful. You trying to tell me that Morton killed Merle? You're almost as dense as Archie was. No, Morton didn't do it. Unless Mr. Wolf is very wrong, which is doubtful. Before the night is over, Morton will know who did. Then it won't be long until we know, too. Uh, You should get on a quiz program. You're so good at guessing games. Shh, listen. Someone's coming. A brilliant deduction, my dear Kramer. I hope there are two of them. Inspector, behind these drapes. Quick, I'll get behind the screen. All right, Mr. Morton. So far, you've been very cooperative. Just keep it up. I have no intention of doing otherwise. Your gun has me completely convinced, Mr. Child. Get the manuscript. 
Yes, just a moment. It's in my desk. Wait a minute. I thought you said it was in the safe. A mistake, Mr. Childs. I don't have a safe. Shall I get the manuscript? Yes, but no tricks. You be careful. I'm being exceedingly careful, Mr. Childs. There you are. Starbreaker by Arthur Merle. Yes, this is it. Thank you, Mr. Morton. Now, I trust that's all you want of me. I'm sorry. I wish that were true. Unfortunately, you see, it's not the actual novel that I want. Oh? My interest in this copy is the same as it was in the original. And that is? That no one should ever learn the content. I take it you know what it's about, then? Yes. You see, Mr. Merle made the mistake of telling me when I called a bit early at his apartment for dinner last evening. I was forced to deprive him of his life once I learned the storyline of this novel. This story must be kept secret. Why? Most of you people in the publishing business know me as a public relations and publicity agent for several prominent writers. Yes. Actually, I've been as successful as I might in this business. Because a few years ago, I stumbled onto a very neat and foolproof method of blackmail. Unfortunately, Arthur Merle thought of the same thing and based this story on it. If it got out, I'd be exposed and sent to prison. So you can see why I had to stop it, why I had to kill Arthur, and why... Now I'll have to kill you, too. Oh, child, for heaven's sake. The contents of these pages condemn me. You know what's in them. Further, I've confessed to murder to you. You don't think I could let you live after that, do you? Child, you're insane. I'm sorry that I must repay you for your trouble in such an ungrateful manner. I'm sorry to do this to you, child, but I can't... Child, please, no... <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Charles. There wasn't time to ask you to drop the gun. All right, Mr. Charles. Get your hands up and stay where you are. Nice going, Mr. Morton. Who are you? That took courage, Mr. Morton. Sorry we had to wait so long, but we had to make Mr. Charles here convict himself. Convict? What do you mean? We've been waiting here for you. Behind the drapes all the time. We heard every word. Mr. Charles, you're under arrest. Police? Yes, Mr. Charles. Only one person could have been so anxious over a copy of that novel... That's the person who killed Arthur Merle for the original. And we heard you confess to that. And that's all we need to convict you. We didn't have any proof until we set it up for you to make a second try to cover up for the first. Fortunately, the setup worked. Setup? Take a look at the rest of the manuscript, Mr. Childs. What? Oh, the front page is there, all right, but look at the rest. Why, the blank. They're just blank pages. You didn't have a copy at all. No, but we certainly got a murderer. Eh, Inspector? Childs! Childs! Stop, Childs! Stop! Well, that's one way to avoid standing trial. Well, Archie, I'm glad you and Kramer got Childs. Some beer, please. That was a clever scheme, boss, making him think there was a copy. Yes. In a way, though, I wish it hadn't been just a scheme. Meaning? I wish there had been a copy of Arthur Merle's novel. Why? You never read detective stories. No, but I've drummed up so much curiosity over this one, I'd like to know exactly what that blackmail gimmick really was. Good night, Archie. Ah. have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story by Don Arthur was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman production and is directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Harry Bartell as Archie Goodwin. And Evelyn Eaton, Peter Leeds, Lucille Alex, Marna Keneally, Herb Butterfield, and Bill Johnstone. Next week, at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you the case of the Telltale Ribbon. Don Stanley speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. There's excitement for you Sunday when talented servicemen compete on The Phil Regan Show. And Sunday on NBC also means another delightful adventure with Cary Grant and Betsy Drake when they star as Mr. and Mrs. Blandings, the proud but bewildered owners of the famous Dream House. The chimes are your invitation every Sunday to Mr. and Mrs. Blandings. Tomorrow for excitement, hear Herbert Marshall in The Man Called X on NBC.
Hey, anyone in here? Anyone mucking around in these stables? Uh, come on now, I can see you there in the shadows. Come on, show yourself. What? What are you going to do about it? What are you doing here? These are private stables belonging to Mr. Paul Chester. Too bad. I just lost me way, that's all. Sorry, bye for now. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That ain't good enough. I'm sending for the police. You won't cause any trouble with your boys. No. Well, we'll see about that. You ask for it, mate. Right. We present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. The Porter Muse Mystery. Sherlock Holmes was accustomed to dealing with mysteries and murders, but as far as I can recall, there was only one case where a death occurred almost on his doorstep. You see, running parallel to Baker Street is Chilton Street, and in between, at the back of number 221B, there is a small mews, Porter Mews. The stables are clearly seen from our back bedroom window. Number 108 Chiltern Street is owned by Paul Chester, an undersecretary at the Admiralty. And it was in his stable, in the mews, that the body of his coachman, Ben Mead, was found that autumn morning. Naturally, someone thought of Holmes immediately. And, not stopping for breakfast, we both hurried to the scene of the crime. Ah, Constable, good morning to you. Oh, could have been a pop-over, Mr. Holmes. Uh, Lindsay's the name. I'm standing guard here until the inspector arrives. Now, nothing's been touched since the alarm was raised. Good, good. One of those rare occasions when I'm first on the scene and not the last to arrive. Uh, this is the man Ben Mead. Yes, I've often seen him at work down here. Uh, tell me, has Mr. Chester been informed of this? Uh, Mr. Chester doesn't seem to be at home, sir. The place is all locked up. Uh, that's how this man was found. Uh, the housekeeper arrived. Uh, she doesn't stay in the house. Uh, she couldn't get in, and so she came down here to find Ben. <laughs> when in a flaming hysterics, she didn't call the police. Uh, she's next door, if you want to talk to her. Uh, later, later will do. Let me first take a look at the body and the whole stable. Uh, the horse and carriage aren't here. I take it the Chester has gone off with them. Now, the body. Well, it must have been a fight, Holmes. With the way everything's been thrown about. Oh, yes, there's been a fight, all right, but an unfair one. It seems to me that this poor fellow was knocked down, and then, before he had a chance to pick himself up, he was hit across the base of the skull with a heavy instrument. This man gave a good account of himself, according to his facial injuries. Blood everywhere, and look at his knuckles, and... Yes, what's this? Ah, yes, yes, a coachman's wheel hammer. Blood and hair on it, yes. This is the murder weapon, all right. Now, I need as much light as possible. Now, where's my glass? Yes, very interesting. Very interesting. Well, it's clear from the footprint in the earth by the door that Ben came in here and disturbed someone. I should say quite early last night. There was a fight. He inflicted some injury upon his opponent before he was knocked down. He was meaning I should think about... Here, when the fatal blow was delivered. Yes, I think I'd like to go over everything alone, if that's all right with you. And then, when the inspector arrives, you can send him up to my rooms, Constable. I think I can put him on the right track straight away. Oh, uh, that's a relief to know, Mr. Holmes. Lucky to have you on the spot, so to speak. Uh, I'll tell the inspector straight away. And so, about an hour later, as Holmes and I were finishing breakfast... Mrs. Hudson showed in our old friend, Inspector Lestrade. Ah, Lestrade. I wonder that Scotland Yard has been called in on such a minor case of murder. Uh, morning, Holmes. Morning, Watson. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, the powers that be heard you'd been at work, and they thought it might be more important than it first seems. Murder on the premises of anyone who's employed at the Admiralty has serious undercurrents. Yes, but this murder occurred in the mews, in the coaching stables at the back of Mr. Chester's house. Nothing to do with Chester. That's right. But what is not known is that the house was burgled last night. When the housekeeper was let in, and when they opened up the place, they found that all of the famous silver plate had been taken. 
Now, these two events cannot be unrelated, Holmes. The man who killed Ben Mead must have used the mews as an entrance to the house. There is, of course, a connecting gate and a pathway to the back door. Mm, yes, but let's get the sequence in the right order. Ben Mead investigated the coach house, was killed by an intruder, who then took Mead's key and went into the house and stole the silver plate? Oh, no, I think not. Well, I, I don't know what order it happened in, but uh, the two events must be connected. Uh, the coincidence is too great, don't you agree? Oh, yes, yes, I do. Well, Holmes, where do we start? Any ideas? Oh, yes, plenty. It's a question of marshalling my thoughts. Now, let's take the death of the coachman as a start. You're looking for the murderer. He is approximately five foot eight inches, he has red hair, and he has a tooth missing from the front of his mouth. Holmes, uh, you, uh, you aren't serious. Never more so. But uh, how did you arrive at these conclusions? Oh, my dear Lestrade, you're as infuriating as Watson. You should know my methods by now. They are totally scientific. Nothing that I say is guesswork. I examined the coach stable in great detail. I found evidence. The fact that the dead man had put up a fight was very clear. He was bruised about the face. Now, bruises are very strange things. They come about in various ways. After death, for instance, they do not grow into blueness. The blood is not circulating, you understand? That's how we can tell the time when death occurred. Now, the knuckles of Ben Mead's hands showed definite, clear cuts. He'd landed several blows. Adhered to the blood on his hand were various hairs. I have them here in this envelope. Uh, they are, as you can see, rather vivid red hairs. Hmm. Yes, yes, I see. All right, Holmes, carry on. There's a broken tooth in that envelope also. I picked it up from the straw. It must have been from the man Ben was fighting, as Ben's teeth are quite intact. Also on the beam of the stable, there were similar red hairs. They are also in the envelope. They show that if the man was hit and staggered back, his head would have hit the post at roughly five and a half feet from the ground. That's reasonable to assume, therefore, that he is a small man. He must have had red hair and a beard. It's all quite elementary, really. Oh, uh, oh well, it's uh, something to go on, isn't it? Oh, I think so. Now, London must have hundreds of men with red hair, but not all that many who also have broken front teeth. It narrows down your search somewhat, you must agree. Now, I've suggested in view of the fact that there was also a robbery, that the man was hired to do this job, therefore he is a professional and an experienced crook. Uh, may I make one final suggestion? By all means. Try Limehouse. There's a gin hall near the river. It's called the Waterman. It's a place where all kinds of seamen gather. At the back of the hall, there is an old coach house which is used as a boxing hall and gymnasium. I've long suspected that it's merely a front cover for various smuggling activities. If you can get a couple of plainclothes men to dress as seamen and ask a few questions, you could pick up a lead on the man you're after. Well, uh, that's a great help. Thanks, Holmes. I'll do exactly that. Good. Well, the best of luck, Lestrade, and keep me informed, won't you? Lestrade left, feeling rather pleased with himself. And I knew that if he succeeded in making an early arrest, Holmes would take none of the credit. In fact, Holmes appeared to lose all interest in the case until later that day when Mrs. Hudson showed in yet another visitor. This time, it was a man of considerable importance, Sir William Benningfield, the Admiralty. Uh, good day to you, Holmes. Uh, I don't know if you remember me. Uh, we met a couple of times at the Diogenes Club. Uh, your brother, Mycroft, introduced us. Of course I remember, Sir William. Uh, pray do take a seat and tell me why I'm so honoured by this visit. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> Well, the fact is that we seem to have hit a spot of trouble. Uh, this is, of course, in the strictest confidence. Naturally. It's my assistant, young Paul Chester, the fellow who lives just at the back of here. Uh, the gentleman whose coachman was killed in a fight last night. Yes, yes, that's right. I don't know if that has anything to do with my problem. I can't see how it can have. But anyway, the fact is that Chester has disappeared and can't be traced at all. But he should have been in the office of the Admiralty yesterday and today, but it's not a sign of him. We're very worried. You think he also might have been attacked? Huh? Eh? Oh, no, 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 I, I don't think so. The fact is that for some time now we've been aware that certain information has been passed on to foreign powers. Very vital information regarding the latest naval armory. As you know, we in Britain pride ourselves on our secret service, as best in the world. Information coming back to us leads us to believe that someone in the Admiralty has turned traitor. Mm. And you suspect it's Paul Chester? Oh, grave accusation, Holmes. I hardly like to put it in so many words, but the possibility does exist. Uh, recently, I've been watching Chester. Only he and I have the keys to the safe, where the codes are kept. 
Very few of us handle the top secret stuff. The codes are continually being changed. Now, I know Chester has been at work on certain papers. I am reasonably sure that he has been passing copies on to a contact in Austria. Your brother, Mycroft, is over there at the moment and has confirmed that the information is being leaked out there. And you think that Chester may have got wind of this, that he might be aware that you suspect him? That's right. I fear that he may be skipping out of the country with the latest plans. It's important that we find him and stop him. You say that he's been missing for two days. He could easily be aboard a ship or even across the channel. Could be. But we must check. The point is, Holmes, will you help us? I'm sure Mycroft would wish you to. Yes, yes, of course. I shall do everything I can, Sir William. This case is becoming extremely interesting. Yes, I shall do everything I can. Sir William Benningfield left, and I went about my own business. I had a large number of calls to make and didn't return to Baker Street until early evening. Holmes was not at home. Mrs. Hudson had set the table for supper, and there was game pie and vegetables hot on the stove. I was helping myself to this when the door opened, and a shabby old tramp let himself in. Look here, my man. What do you mean by calling in here? How did you get in? And who are you, anyway? Oh, no, no, Mr. Doctor, Dr. Watson, ain't that right? That is correct, but answer my questions. Who are you and what do you want? How did you gain entrance to these rooms? <laughs> you, you really are my best audience, Watson. Oh, I always yes. feel my disguise is a foolproof if you're taken in by them. Holmes, well, I must say that this is one of your better attempts. I was completely taken in. Well, what have you been up to this time? Well, I thought I'd do a little checking up around the Limehouse district myself. The strayed men stand out like sore thumbs down there. I spotted them in the waterman's gin hall immediately. Fortunately, they made my own investigation pass unnoticed. Yes, I found Ben Mead's murderer. All right. You have? Oh, yes. A very undesirable creature by the name of Joe Crumb. He's exactly five foot eight, has red hair and a beard and front tooth missing. I've advised Scotland Yard and Lestrade should be about to make an arrest, I should think. That's fast work, I must admit. Uh, Holmes, uh, is there a connection between that man's death and the disappearance of Paul Chester? I believe there must be. It's far too coincidental. Missing papers from the Admiralty, an undersecretary who disappears, silver plates stolen from his house and his coachman is murdered all at the same time. No, no, no. There must be some link. But what is the link, Watson? That's the point. It's a far more complicated case than it appears. Ah, now that, unless I'm very much mistaken, will be our old friend Lestrade. Uh, would you be so good as to let him in, Watson, while I change out of these things? Uh, give him a glass of brandy and invite him to take supper with us. I shall not be long. I did as Holmes instructed, for it was indeed Inspector Lestrade waiting outside on the doorstep. He accepted my offer of food and drink gratefully, and over supper told us of his success. Uh, we arrested the man, Joe Crumb, Holmes. He's now in jail, and we're pushing forward his trial. But, uh... Well, uh, frankly, I'm wondering if the evidence will hold. He's rather too circumstantial. Men have been hanged on far less evidence. He is a murderer, I have no doubt about that. Providing you have a good prosecuting counsel, I think you should get a conviction. Now, I'm not so sure. The man's attitude is so darn confident. He doesn't say much, just does a sly, lopsided grin. Refuses to comment at all. Simply says he's innocent, and that's that. He is not innocent, he is guilty. I've been down to Limehouse myself and picked up quite a few tidbits of information. Nothing that I can pass on to you to be used as evidence, but from what I learned, it confirmed all my suspicions. Joe Crumb killed Ben Mead, and all that remains is for you to prove it, Lestrade. Now, would you like a little more game pie? Holmes promptly dropped the whole case. Several times I asked him if he was making any progress with his investigations into the disappearance of Port Chester, but he merely said that the time wasn't right. Sir William Benningfield called a couple of times and was given more or less the same answer. I could see that he was disappointed in Holmes, but Holmes didn't let that worry him. He was concentrating upon other matters. Days went by and even weeks, and eventually Joe Crumb appeared in court on a charge of murder. Naturally, Holmes and I attended the trial. The defense was conducted by Hugh Starcross, the most able man. Members of the jury, you must be amazed at the weakness of the case you have been brought here to judge. 
In all my long experience, I have never known a criminal charge supported by such flimsy, scanty evidence. As it unfolds, you will see that no rational mind can find the prisoner guilty. My client is not content, however, to be acquitted for lack of evidence. He claims the right to prove his innocence. He will show that he could have had no part whatsoever in the death of the coachman, Ben Mead. That means he's about to produce an alibi. <coughs> the, the usual questions first, though. A prisoner at the bar. You have heard that at the scene of the crime, there was evidence of a fight and the finding of red hairs and a broken tooth. You have red hair. No, sir. Natural, too. Always have had this colour here. You also have a front tooth missing. Can you tell the jury how you lost that tooth? Uh, Waterman's Jim, Limehouse, boxing. Lost it about oh, three three months ago. Fella called Max Baker. Called me one in the face and knocked me two back. Oh, that's Baker down there. He'll tell yes, you. Yes, yes. Just confine yourself to answering the questions. I shall bring the necessary witnesses to testify as I think fit. And now, on the night of the 21st, when this death took place, can you account for your movements? Of course I can. I was... Uh, I was in the Waterman's till about, ooh, ten o'clock. Then I went across to the pub. Three ducks. Stayed there till closing time, playing darts. Then uh, went with the landlord to play poker. Had an all-night session. Oh, I won quite a bit, too. Mm. And now we shall hear the confirmation from the landlord. Yes, he'll now be called. That's him, that large, fat-faced man with the black hair smarmed down. He will testify for Crumb. Holmes, you seem quite pleased that things are going so badly. This continues... And Crumb will be acquitted. Oh, yes, yes. I should think that's almost certain. Well, I think there's very little need to stay in here more, Watson. The jury won't take all that long to make up their minds. We may as well go and get ourselves a cup of coffee. Gentlemen of the jury, have you arrived at a verdict? Do you find the prisoner guilty or not guilty? Not guilty, my lad. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, I was greatly upset, and so was Lestrade. Scotland Yard had been made to appear rather stupid. He was far from pleased and very much inclined to blame Sherlock Holmes, who was quite unimpressed by the whole of the proceedings. In fact, later that evening, he seemed rather pleased with himself. Tonight, I think we can actually move on the case, Watson. It, uh, I, I, I thought it was all over. Crumb has been acquitted. Well, you may have been right in thinking him guilty, but he's got away with it. Not entirely, not entirely. He has been made to reveal his hand, and I think now we can step in and solve the whole mystery. I've asked Lestrade and his men to meet me later. First, I have to send off a few telegrams, one to Mycroft in Innsbruck, another to the landlord of the Three Ducks, and a third to Sir William Benningfield. Then we journey to Limehouse, suitably clad, of course. I'm sure I can find an old suit that'll fit you, Watson. And a large cape with a pocket that can conceal a revolver. Well, you want me to come with you? Or you think it might be dangerous? Well, that's right. I've been inactive for long enough. This time, things were brought to a head. Don't you agree? Come, make preparations. It could be a long night ahead. And so, on a rainy, windy night, Holmes and I took a cab to the east end of London. And made our way by foot to the Three Ducks public house. We didn't go in. It was nearly closing time. We waited down a side alley. And after about half an hour, two men left by the back entrance. I could tell by the light of the gas lamps that they were Joe Crumb and the landlord. Swiftly and silently, we followed. They made their way down towards the river. And at St. Catherine's Wharf, they stopped and entered a small disused warehouse. Holmes seemed to know the way. And catching me by the sleeve, guided me through the darkness. The two men lit a lantern. There, there's he. They're kneeling on the floor, about to open a trap door in the floor. Holmes, Holmes, what's all this mean? Shh, we'll find out very soon. Wait. Quite check out, though. Can't be too careful. Here, give us a hand. Ready? Still here. It's only a chance of anyone discovering him under the floor balls. All we've got to do is put him in the chest. Right. Right, that's got him. Close him in. Now, tomorrow, we're going to call the Santiago style. Once we're out of the sea, the captain drops it overboard and the man is down. 
settled back in and start collecting. I don't mention them, we're going to be nice and rich for the rest of our days. We'll take a few risks for a reckon, don't you? One risk too many, Crumb. Yeah, what a devil. Don't move. There are two guns on you, and both my friend and I are crack shots. Cover them, Watson. Let's get this straight in here. He and his men have been following me. That's it. The game is up, Crumb. You may have got away with murder once, but this time you won't be so lucky. This time you will face a charge of killing Mr. Paul Chester, whose body you have just placed in that sea chest. You blasty clever sworn, how did you? You'll have plenty of time to listen to explanations later. Ah, straight, good, right on time. Take these men away. Then I think you can make yet another arrest. A bigger fish this time. These are just two sprats to catch a mackerel. Come on, Watson, our work here is over. After the arrest of the two men in that warehouse, events moved at a bewildering pace. The body of Paul Chester was found, wrapped in canvas. It was clear that he'd been murdered, his throat cut from ear to ear. Under cross-examination, the landlord of the three ducks broke down and confessed everything. He turned Queen's evidence, and so implicated none other than Sir William Benningfield. Holmes was not at all surprised. You see, it was Benningfield's whole idea. It was he who had turned traitor and was passing on the naval secrets. Paul Chester found this out and was ready to expose him. So Bennyfield had to get rid of him. The plan was to burgle the house in Chilton Street, steal silver plate, and then send a message to Chester where to find it. Chester was lured to Limehouse, where he was killed, and his body placed beneath the floorboards of the warehouse until it could be shipped aboard a boat and dropped out at sea. Unfortunately, Joe Crumb was discovered by Chester's coachman, who was killed in a fight. I knew that it was the beginning of the case and not the end. Once Crumb was acquitted, he got overconfident. The landlord, being the spineless type, reacted to a telegram I sent to him, saying Chester's body had been found. They led us to him. My brother Mycroft is due back in England straight away. He'll deal with Benningfield. I think our job is over, Watson. So much for the Porter Muse mystery. Interesting case, but a little too close to home for comfort. Don't you agree? <laughs> Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson. Case closed for this week. You can find more Sherlock Holmes and Nero Wolf at relicradio.com. Find all the other podcasts there as well and our shoutcast stream. And if you enjoy this show every week and would like to help support it, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the donate links. Your support makes it all happen and has for 16 years. Thanks again to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back again next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. <laughs>